I've, I've filmed several hunts uh, for antelope where we stalked antelope. And uh, if I'd have been 360, there's no way I could have pulled it off. There's just absolutely no way. So it's just like full circle how it's really helped me hunting. You don't see all the little things it helps with, but it's just, it's nice walking to your stand and not getting to the base of your tree and you're soaked in sweat and stinking already. When you get there, you haven't even broken a sweat. Big Buck Registries Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 257. Dennis Pridgen, Deer Hunting and the Ketogenic Diet. Support for the Big Buck Registry and the Deer Hunt Podcast comes from Hunter's Blend Coffee, defending hunting one cup at a time. Finally, there's a coffee that helps rather than hurts your freedom to hunt. Polar Works Coolers and the Chill Zone, specializing in the most durable, reliable thermal cups and coolers. Keep your drinks hot or cold in any element. Covert Scouting Cameras, remote cameras for hunting, wildlife, and security. Black Ash Outdoor Products reduce your risk of tree stand suspension trauma with a tree stand wingman, the tree stand emergency descender system. Morse's Sporting Goods, a full line of sporting goods without the sales tax. And Big Buck Merch. You can get cool, high-quality Big Buck t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and hoodies. And show support for this podcast by visiting www.bigbuckregistry.com forward slash M-E-R-C-H. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hey, this is Dean Capulano from Swarovski Optic and host of Swarovski Optic Quest. You're about to listen to another great episode of the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. This is Gordon Whittington, Editor-in-Chief at North American Whitetail Magazine, and you're about to listen to another great episode of the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Hammer from Antler Action Products, and I shot the Hammer Buck, and you're listening to my favorite deer hunting podcast, the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen and fellow predators. My name is Jay, and thank you for tuning in to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. For Dusty Phillips and Jim Keller and the entire staff here at the Big Buck Registry, welcome to this week's show. There are a couple things I'd like you to do for us if you could. If you would, please check us out on iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a review. With your help, we're going to try and push this show up the iTunes charts. I know we have a lot of listeners out there, and I need you to take some action. I need you to leave a review and subscribe to the show. If you do subscribe, that'll give you access and notification each and every week that a new show is released. You can also access this show in its entirety on YouTube, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, and as an Amazon Alexa skill. Go to Alexa and say, Alexa, enable Big Buck Registry. It's all right there for you to access on demand at your fingertips. Regarding the harness program, we have an ample supply of harnesses to give away from our volunteer donors. If you're in need of a full body harness, please send an email to j at bigbuckregistry.com. 6'1", 360 pounds. That's where Dennis Pridgen weighed in three and a half years ago. Today, 160 pounds lighter, weighing in at a lean 200 pounds, Dennis has found a rejuvenation for everything he loves, life and deer hunting. Dennis attributes his successful weight loss 
to a popular diet called the ketogenic diet. A passionate deer hunter and outdoor television cameraman, Dennis now outpaces his fellow hunters and looks at climbing trees these days as entertaining instead of a burden. Dennis walks us through how he dropped 160 pounds in a relatively short amount of time and how the weight loss has drastically helped his career and his ability to hunt. We'll turn to our entire interview with Dennis Pridgen in just one moment, but before we do, let's hear from our friends at Polar Works Coolers and Jim Keller with the Deer News. I always wanted one of those high-end coolers because of the quality that I had heard of, but I couldn't justify the price. Then I found Polar Works. Finally, I found a company that understands quality and affordability. The Polar Works lineup is extensive and is filled with Polar Cups, Polar Tubs, and Polar Soft Coolers. So check out PolarWorks.com when you're considering your next high-quality cooler without breaking the bank. That's www.polarworkz.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Our first story this week. Here's what's in the Minnesota DNR's new plan for managing white-tailed deer. This story is from the Bring Me the Minnesota News website and is reported by Adam Uren. A new white-tailed deer management plan for the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources sets a hunting harvest target of 200000 a year. The plan, the first of its kind in Minnesota, sets out targets for the management of deer populations in the state over the next 10 years. Compiled following two years of public meetings and discussions, the DNR sets a target of allowing 200,000 deer to be harvested every year. This is a compromised target figure given that deer hunting groups had a 225,000 deer harvest target while biologists had suggested a 190,000 deer limit. The 200,000 figure is about in line with the average harvest. The plan doesn't contain any specifics as to how it will achieve this target, instead using it as a guideline for future management strategies. It comes after concerns from hunters who have been seeing fewer deer in recent years with the DNR hoping it will lead to more sustainable numbers moving forward. But the plan is about more than just setting hunting targets. It also pledges to aggressively fight chronic wasting disease that is fatal to deer and maintain quality deer wildlife habitats. It also sets out plans to hold regular meetings with interested parties about decisions the DNR wants to make on deer population management, which will include hunters and landowners. The plan states that the white-tailed deer is the most popular game animal in the state, with 500,000 people every fall taking to the woods to hunt, generating about $500 million for the state's economy. To read the full plan, please visit the Minnesota DNR's website at www.dnr.state.com. .mn.us. Maine taking applications for this year's expanded deer hunt. This story is from the U.S. News and World Report website. Maine's ready to take the applications for this year's deer permit lottery, which will give out thousands more permits than the previous years. Maine uses the lottery to give out any deer permits which allow hunters to harvest deer of either sex. It gives out 84,745 permits this year. That's 28% more than last year. Wildlife officials say many central and southern Maine deer survived moderate winter. State wildlife biologists say the hunt helps maintain a healthy deer herd. Hunters without an any deer permit are only allowed to harvest deer with antlers. The state is taking the applications until the end of the day on August 15th. The lottery itself is scheduled to take place on September 7th, and the hunt is in the fall. Wyoming to see sharp increase in wolf harvest numbers. This is from the OutdoorNews.com website. The Wyoming Game and Fish this week approved a wolf hunting season this fall that allows for hunters to take up to 58 wolves, which is up from the allowable harvest of 44 wolves last year. There are about 350 wolves roaming Wyoming, including about 210 in areas where the state manages their numbers with hunting. State game managers who are tasked with trying to control the animals that can 
prey on domestic livestock want to see that 210 brought down to about 160. Game and Fish wolf biologist Ken Mills told commissioners that 160 wolves would leave the state with about 14 breeding pairs, easily meeting the state's commitment to maintaining at least 100 wolves and 10 breeding pairs. Changes approved by the state commission include allowing hunters to kill up to two wolves and starting the season a month earlier in some places on September 1st, the commission met in Laramie. Wolf hunting remains prohibited in Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Parks, the National Elk Refuge near Jackson, and on the Wind River Indian Reservation. Neighboring Montana and Idaho also have established wolf hunting seasons. A federal appeals court in early 2017 lifted endangered species protection for wolves in Wyoming, allowing the state to take over management of the animals and reestablish its wolf hunting season. Wolves were reintroduced to the northern Rockies in the mid-1990s. Since then, the animals have been the subject of debate between conservationists who want to see wolf numbers grow and livestock operators who want wolf numbers controlled to protect their businesses. Iowa DNR uncovers generational deer poachers. This story is from the whoradio.iheart.com website and is reported by Sue Danielson. Three generations of a Michigan family have agreed to pay $51,000 in fines and turn over 17 deer mounts after a poaching investigation that spanned 16 years. The Iowa DNR found the family had arrangements with Cedar County landowner who provided lodging and tags for deer harvested in exchange for fishing opportunities in Michigan. Investigators say the Michigan hunters never purchased or applied for non-resident hunting licenses. Thanks to a single tip from the public which led us to the initial investigation and eventually turned into something much greater, we were able to put a stop to years and years of illegal activity, said Eric Wright, DNR conservation officer. Deer hunting is a very popular sport and hobby across our state. We want to ensure that all hunters are doing so fairly and abiding by the law. The hunters involved, 49-year-old Douglas Leo Hebert of Indian River, Michigan, his 51-year-old brother Jeffrey Leo Hebert of Bay City, Michigan, and their 73-year-old father, Leo Frederick Hebert of Bay City, Michigan, agreed to a plea agreement with the Cedar County Attorney's Office. Charges were not filed against juveniles as part of the plea deal. The DNR says the agreement means the individual's access to hunting privileges in Iowa was suspended for a minimum period of three years. The plea agreement impacts their access to hunting across 46 other states because Iowa is a member of the Interstate Wildlife Violator Compact. This suspension may be observed in any one of the other member states at the discretion of the appropriate authorities in those states. The three Iowa residents involved who knowingly aided and abetted the Michigan poachers cooperated fully throughout the investigation and agreed to pay fines totaling $780. The Iowa DNR encourages anyone who has knowledge of unlawful hunting to report it to their local conservation officer or call the Turn In Poachers, that's TIP, hotline at 1-800-532-2020 or at www.iowadnr.gov forward slash tip. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry's Deer News. For links to the stories featured this week, please check our show notes at www.bigbuckregistry.com. If you have any ideas for future topics or have any questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Thanks to Jim Keller for the Deer News. Without further ado, here is Dennis Pridgen. Dennis Pridgen, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. How are you, my friend? Great, Jay. I appreciate you letting me come on. I really appreciate that. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you, um, I, and I'm always excited to talk to guests. But this one, th- this particular story, your story, has captured my attention for two reasons. Number one is that you lost an incredible amount of weight with the ketogenic diet. 
and it's near and dear to my heart because I've also lost weight using that diet. And I want to see how you did it. And you've, you've gone a little bit further than I have to the point even now where, from what I understand, you're actually doing like diet plans for people. So I'm, I'm curious to hear about your journey there. Um, but as always, this to me and to our entire audience connects to deer hunting. And I know you're, you're a hardcore deer hunter. So I want to try to connect the dots there um, and see what makes you tick. Yes, sir. That's a couple of my biggest passions right there you just talked about. So Cool. All right. This for sure. Be a passionate show then. Very cool. Let's oh, yeah. Dennis, tell me about yourself. Where are you? Where do you live? Where do you call home? Uh, where'd you grow up? Uh, I'm from eastern North Carolina in a little town called Castalia. Um, it's population 300 and some change. Very small town. Everybody knows everyone. I've uh, been there my whole life, except for maybe a year in my life. I lived in Louisville, Kentucky for a little bit. Um, but that Castalia is home and always be home no matter what. Um, grew up. Uh, my dad was a very hard worker. Um, he worked in a mobile home plant, did the best he could to provide for me. I'm the only child, which you, usually folks think you're really spoiled if you're the only child, which was not the case for me. Uh, my mom was a very sick lady, and we'll get into that here shortly. Okay. All right. Gotcha. So what what got you into the ketogenic diet in the first place? Why, why get, even go on a diet? All right. Well, I'm going to take you back to my childhood and explain it from there on, because when I tell my story, I always start there. Basically, um, as a child, my mom was very sick, and uh, I, I used to not ever talk about this, and I kept it inside, and I've learned the more I talk about it, the easier it becomes, and the more, I'm, the more I tell it, the more I help people, because they see that they're not alone. But my mom was raped at the age of 12 years old, and um, she was very, very mentally uh broken down and just you, one day you didn't know what you were going to get. One day it was it going to be sweet loving mom or was it going to be, I'm going to beat you mom. Okay. And, um, yeah. So from, I'd say the age of five to, uh, 14, 15, my mom was in and out of the hospital and by hospital, I mean, I had to visit her through a glass. Hmm. Um, but luckily enough, I was blessed with a grandmother that stepped in and became my mom, so to speak and raised me and gave me good morals. Um, and a little few stories about me and my mom, you know, like I say, one day she'd be a great mom, just loving. And the next day she would beat me with a two by four. I mean, wow. I know it's not funny, but it's the truth. I've had broke ribs. I've slept under the porch with my dog at night because she locked me out of the house. Uh, keep in mind, my dad was out of town working. He didn't know anything about all this. And to this very day, I put it out there, but I try to keep it away from my family, so to speak, because I don't, you know, want nobody looking at my mom because she was very sick. Um, and if you're dealing with something like I cannot, I cannot imagine being put through what she was put through as a child. I probably, there's no telling how I would have turned out either. Fast forward. Um, back about three, three or four years ago, my uh, grandmother, which like I say, basically raised me was in the hospital and, um, she was supposed to come home the next day. And I was weighing roughly around 360 pounds at the time. And I'm, I'm six foot, six foot one ish, uh, tall. Okay. okay. And, um, yeah. Um, and my, my grandma, my grandmother told me laying in the hospital bed, she said, Boy, if you don't change something in your life, you're going to be the next one in this hospital bed. Mm. And I just laughed at her and like, you know, ha ha, grandma, that's, that's funny. You know, I didn't see myself as that big of a person. 
Um, well, the next day, my my grandmother had a stroke and um, she passed away. Well, fast forward six months later, I'm out fishing, bend over to pick up a rod and reel, and couldn't breathe because my belly was so big. Yeah. And at that very moment, I told myself, you know, something's got to give. So basically, at first, the first month, I just cut portions back, and I'm a I was a huge I was highly addicted to Mountain Dew. Yep. That was like my drug. Um, and I, as I'll talk about here shortly, sugars and carbs, they ain't nothing but drugs anyway. But um, as most people can relate to have ever done a ketogenic diet. But about a month in, I'd lost some weight and my pants were getting loose on me. And I just said, you know what? Let me see what the latest thing people are doing. So I went up online and started Googling and something come up about a ketogenic diet. So I said, hmm, that's sounds different and i started reading it said you're going to eat a high amount of fat and a moderate amount of protein and keep your cars really low and i was like eat fat to lose weight that don't even sound remotely right that's, so that's right it's, I, it's crazy you know it sounded crazy yes exactly i was like this is somebody's lost their mind you're not going to eat fat and burn fat that's just absolutely doesn't make any sense i said but hey Nothing else been working. Let, let me try it. Worst thing I can do is put some pounds back on and have to figure out how to lose them. And when I started it, I'll be honest with you. I had the mindset, this is going to last a week or two, and I'm going to say the heck with it, and I'm going to go back to doing whatever. This ain't never going to work. Well, lo and behold, two weeks in, I, I weighed myself, and I had lost like 15, 20 pounds. And I was like, are you for real? <laughs> I'm eating pork chops and hamburger and steak and just stuff i like other than you know take the mountain dew and the rice and the potatoes and the bread away which i've never been a big bread fan but basically i saw it was working so let's say it was about a year in i lost a hundred pounds and every day i got up i thought about my grandmother i would i kept dwelling at my head she kept what she told me and my mom being my mom was always negative about mostly everything um, she told me one day, she said, you know what? You've done good losing that weight. And I was like, oh, wow. She's going to tell me I've done good. And then she said, you're never going to keep it off though. <laughs> You'll never keep that weight off. Right. And I was like, okay, I'm going to show you. Well, a couple weeks later, I was in Wisconsin filming some deer hunting like we all love. Um, and got a phone call from my wife. Uh, it was on a Sunday morning. I'll never, never forget it. My wife called me and she wouldn't say anything. Uh, and I kept saying, what's going on? What's going on? Well, then she tells me my mom had choked in her sleep and, uh, she was brain dead when they found her. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, I, I completely lost it. Uh, hit the ground. Everything's a blur. I remember my buddy, um, trying not to get too emotional because mm -hmm. I've told it so many times I don't get as bad as I used to get, but, right, uh, right, right. used to, I could not tell this without breaking down. But, uh, I remember my buddy rushing me to the airport and this sweet lady at the counter, I asked her, I need a flight home immediately. And she said, honey, I'm sorry. The, the only flight just left and the next one's five hours out. So I had to sit in that hospital for five hours and I'll never forget people coming up, giving me hugs that I don't know who they were, still will never know who they were. I just say they were angels from God because um, I was sitting there, I, I was losing it, you know. Yeah. Uh, 
and people were coming up giving me hugs, telling me, you know, they're praying for me and this and that. Well, I made it back in time to uh, to see my mom. She was on a ventilator, of course. She couldn't respond. She was non-responsive. And I said my goodbyes, and she um she passed away that night, uh, shortly after that. And uh, I went into a very dark, deep, dark place and was very depressed uh, because, as I said, we didn't have the best relationship, and we never really had any closure. And um, sure. I was hoping one day we would have that closure. Well, needless to say, I went into depression, and the first thing that I do when I go get depressed is my trigger is to eat food, and I ain't talking about good food. I'm talking about bad stuff. Okay. Well, about three months after my mom passed, I had gained 50 pounds back. Wow. And I had basically given up. Yeah. I had gorged myself. I didn't go out of the house. I didn't answer the door. Friends called me. I ignored them. I, I basically had given up on life. And um, one morning... Uh, well, actually, one of my friends messaged me, and he was being funny. I actually commented on a Facebook post, and it was being funny, but it was it was the truth, and it really hit me hard. Somebody put out there, why aren't you posting any more pictures of your weight loss and your food you, you're eating and this and that or sharing any videos? And he went up on there and he said, well, it's probably because he's got fat again. Right. And that really, really hit me hard. I was like, I was mad at one. I was mad at him at first, and I was like, you know, why, why am I mad? He's telling the truth. Right. So I went to bed that night, not still depressed. Well, the next morning I woke up, and as my feet were hitting the ground or the floor, I heard my mom in my head say, I told you you'd never keep that weight off. And something clicked, and I said, never again. And I started back that day, and from that day to this day, I've lost 160 pounds. Wow. And I'm in the best shape of my life at 43 years old. Wow. So... So you took it down from three sixty something down yep, to down, right at two hundred. Right at two hundred. My goodness, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Yeah. Yes, sir. I, I still can't imagine walking down the road toting one hundred sixty pounds in my hands. How I would get up and down the road now? It's just, it's just amazing. And I, I give all glory, <clears throat> all glory to God because He saved me at my lowest point mm-hmm. and uh, brought me to the top. Uh, and I'm in the best shape of my life and the most happy I've ever been in my life. So uh, I give him full credit for all of it. It's impressive, Dennis. It's, uh, I mean, I, lo- I lost 32 pounds. And I thought walking around, that it, just, just walking around during turkey season, it felt like I had something, like I had this extra extra gear gear like yeah <laughs> but when I lost it and I could move around I felt like man why is everything so like easy <laughs> you know yeah no it's, doubt everything's easier my my thinking it's easier I can think harder easier I can walk anywhere easier I go up and down stairs easier I can bend over easier I can do yep. everything it just seemed to become easier and I and that's just 32 pounds I can't imagine what it's like not carrying an extra well, 160. Yeah, and my goal is probably to be lost 180 when I'm finished. And that's shredded to the bones competition looking to step on a, a bodybuilding stage if that's what I want to do. Yep. Um, I'm not saying I'll maintain that, but one time in my life I want to be there. So I'm going to do it. That's my goal. Gotcha. Um, I hit the gym six, seven days a week, and I'm not doing all that just just to do it, so to speak. <laughs> so let's so. let's kind of paint this picture. Could we, I mean, 360 for your size frame and your height—that's obviously large, right? Yes, sir. 
but you had to get yes, there, sir. get there somehow. How did you get there? I mean, what, what, how did you end up? And I assume a lot of this, like myself, it was, it's, it was just gradual. You didn't really notice anything. You didn't weren't paying oh. attention. How did you get there? Persistence, persistence, persistence. That's what I tell everyone. Uh, it's not going to happen overnight. If you're looking for a quick fix, then don't even try it because quick fixes don't last. You're going to gain your weight back and more with a quick fix. Right. Um, basically, I, I'm, I'm human. Now, every once in a while, if there's a birthday party or it's July the 4th or Christmas or Thanksgiving, I'm going to eat what I want to eat. And that's just how it is. And I don't hide that from folks on my page on Facebook or nothing like that. Um, but the next day it's right back to keto and I'm strict. And most of the time I, I, I'll incorporate fasting the next day to get all that carbs and them glycogen out of my body yep. to get back into ketosis very quickly. Cause I'm so adapted now the next day I'm back in ketosis pretty dang quick. Um, yep. I've been doing it so long. So gotcha. my so- body, my body knows what's going on. That's what it is. Gotcha. To get to a 360-pound man at 6'1", you mentioned Mountain Dew. That, do you, do you uh, contribute a lot of the weight gain over the course of your life to soda or, or just eating more carbs than, or than necessary? Or is it a product of our way of life? What is that? How, did, how does a person become 360 pounds and 160 pounds overweight? Yeah, I'm gonna tell you, society these days is it's just set. You're set up for failure everywhere you go, because there is processed junk everywhere you look. Um, and meal prepping is a big key to what we do. I'm blessed to have a great wife support system because she cooks really good food for me. But getting back to where what you were talking about, um, yes, Mountain Dew was probably 50 pounds of that 160 if I had to take a pie chart and break it down because I was drinking at least one if not two two liters a day of Mountain Dew wow um yeah and that's just poison it's straight up poison and then I was eating junk on top of that I was the guy that would find a turn it to the sportsman channel or the outdoor the pursuit channel and and go on a three hours of just watching nothing but hunting and fishing and eat a whole family-sized bag of Doritos while drinking a two-liter Mountain Dew and eating little Debbie cakes. I mean, I was just packing it in. Yeah. Um, and it was just poor habits. See, I wasn't taught, uh, like my wife, she was taught good habits with her mom and dad as growing up. You know, you sit at the table and you, you eat your vegetables and you eat this. In my house, it wasn't like that. As I said, I was raised pretty poorly. Uh, I remember several times we didn't have food daddy had to go out and shoot squirrels just so we had supper because my mom was in the hospital and he was paying bills and it couldn't keep up but uh so i never got that sense of this is how you eat you just ate what was in front of you and sugar i was addicted to it and to this day i still crave it but i know if i go back to it i'm gonna go back to 360 400 pounds it's gonna happen um because it's just i'm just genetically not blessed like some people can eat everything in sight and they just stay the same size um i don't have those genetics and from research i've read about 80 percent of america does not have that genetics just the other 20 percent that are blessed to be able to eat anything they want and they don't gain an ounce yeah so um but it was just poor habit 
poor decisions on my part. And my wife got on me continuously, you know, you shouldn't be eating that. You should be drinking more water. And now I'm the one that tells her, hey, you ain't drinking enough water. Yeah. It's reversed. So, but it was all self-inflicted, no doubt. Okay. Uh, just like a drug addict is what it was basically boils down to. So, so how did you do it? Where, where did you, you mentioned that there was a point in your life where says, never again, you'd started, but there was, uh, you know, that thing clicks that no, I got, I have to go back to what I was doing. But there's a how-to here. You Googled it. You figured out what was the latest fashion. And it is kind of a fashionable diet in a sense. But what? how did you actually do it overall? How do you prepare other people to do it? Well, first of all, like I've coached since last July to this July. It's been one year I've, I've built meal plans, ketogenic meal plans for people. And currently, my clients have lost a little over 6,200 pounds in a year. Um, and some lost 20, some lost 100. You know, it just all adds up. But basically, when people come to me, I tell them, look, if your mind's not right and you're not ready to do this, you don't need to even attempt it. Because if you get your mindset, you can do anything. And that's one thing I work on daily is my mindset. Um, and I think ahead, you know, what am I eating tomorrow? Uh, but I've been doing this so long, it just comes naturally now. But that's where when I build these meal plans, it's all laid out for the people. They know what they're eating every day of the week. Uh, and they don't have to track any macronutrients like their fats, their proteins, and their, their, um, their carbs. It's all taken care of. But like you were saying, it's like keto popped out of nowhere the last two or three years. But actually in 19... Oh, don't quote me on this. I think it was the 1930s okay. that they figured out it treated epilepsy. But also, while they were figuring that out, they noticed the patients were losing weight. And these were a lot of kids, and they didn't want to lose weight, so they jacked their, jacked their fat way, way, way high so they'd maintain their weight. Hmm. So it's been around since the 1930s, but it was originally for epilepsy. But it's finally came to light, you know, there's – quite a few great documentaries out there on keto now uh basically uh there's a guy named dr berg which is a very smart guy he he's a big advocate for keto he basically tells everyone whatever whatever you've been taught by the government and the fda do the opposite and that's what you really need to be doing right, right. because you know they want you eating all this stuff it's basically a big gimmick the government has got set up in my in my eyes and many others uh, in the keto industry or the family keto family i say they want you eating all these carbs and whatnot to get you overweight so you're diabetic or you got high blood pressure that way you got to go to the doctor the doctor's gonna make his money then the pharmacists are gonna make their money and part of the, i think it's conagra foods owns part of the pharmaceutical companies and stuff so it's all a big it's all a big ploy to keep you unhealthy so you keep pulling money out of your pocket wow. because everyone that i've had do my plans within three months, they've come off their type two diabetes medicines and they're not no longer taking any blood pressure medicine. They all come off of it gotcha. from eating fat. It's crazy. When, when did you start the diet again? It was, uh, back in 20, like early 2015, 2015. Okay. So 160 yes, pounds since 2015. Yep. All right. That's pretty. And so it's not, it's not like it's a, a, a rapid pace. I mean, mm -mm. That, that's a gradual, consistent yep. time frame um 
And I've seen some of your before and after pictures on Facebook, man. It's insane. You're from where you were to where you are today. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's not it's funny to go in a store and see somebody you went to school with or I used to hunt with or fish with and say, Hey, how's it going? And they just look at you and nod and then you're like, hey, you don't even know who I am, do you? And they're like, Nope. <laughs> right. And I have to tell them. And they're like, Oh my God, what happened? Right. <laughs> and then I I tell them, but yeah, it's nothing that's gonna happen overnight. Um and when I post in groups and stuff my picture, uh a lot of people say, How long does that take? And I'll say two years and nine months and they're like oh right. and i'm like well did you think it happened in a month right it's not that simple i, I wish <laughs> right how much how much working out did you incorporate in the beginning and how much do you have now um in the beginning as soon as i started keto a month in excuse me um i basically just walked a mile a day for the first month okay. tried to get my stamina up yeah and uh then about the second to the third month in, I started going down to my buddies, which worked out perfectly. He lived a mile and a half from me, and he had a bunch of gym equipment in an old, basically it was an old country store in his backyard. Hmm. And uh, me and him started working out like three days a week. And over time, as, as I've got in better shape, three days a week's turned into like six to seven days a week. Um, because if I don't go to the gym, I feel like my day isn't complete now. Okay. I'm addicted to going to the gym. Um, but it's, it's, uh, most of my people that I help, I just tell them to walk 20 minutes a day. They don't have to lift any weights. Cause as you know, and I know diet is the main key to all this, because if you're not eating right, you can go to the gym and work out like a madman and you're not going to get the results you're looking. It's all about what you feed your body. Right. So, right. Yeah. I would say yeah. it's that classic 80, 20 principle. I think 80% of it yep. is diet. 20% is how the rest of it's like toning and, and working out and mm -hmm. using your, keeping your muscles in a state where they don't degrade and, you know, uh, they, yep. get, they don't shrink. You're teaching your body not to use your muscles as fuel so that you can burn the other fuel as it comes on. Yep. That's exactly right. Hmm. Uh, a lot of people have the misconception that if you do this, you're going to burn all your muscle off. And I show them my picture. I say, well, does it look like I burnt my muscle off? Um, and another thing is they don't understand that I carried a lot, most of this muscle on my frame at 360. You just could not see it because I had a layer of fat over top of it. Right. Um, That's right. So I don't know. How, yeah. I don't know how much mus muscle I put on may not have put any on. I don't know. But if you uncover it, it's just night and day what you really look like. Um, so yeah, people just think. And I have a lot of friends of mine say, you're going to lose all your muscle and this and that. And I'm like, I'm not losing my muscle. I promise you I'm eating plenty of food. I'm not starving here. Right. Some days I have to make myself eat. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I've seen this and have read about also that these diets are prescribed to cancer patients because it has anti-cancer properties. Mm-hmm. So exactly. It goes well um, beyond just a diet. That's right. Cancer thrives on carbs. Um, I personally look, know a lady that had brain cancer and went to the doctor, and it was like terminal. There was nothing they could do for her. Hmm. And the doctor said, we got one thing we can try. I want you to, since I said cancer runs off carbs, he said, I want you to fast for 30 days and drink nothing but water. Don't do nothing else. Worst case scenario, it kills you. You're going to die anyway. Well, 30 days later, she goes back. Cancer is gone. 
mm. has been gone for two years now. So that goes to show you what she what she was eating was feeding that cancer, and she she starved it out of her body. That's crazy. So it's amazing. It's that absolutely amazing. Wow. So, all right, so let's let's move move on and let's transition. Of course, we need to um, bring this full circle into the other things that are important to us. How has your dieting and where your conditioning is now affected your ability to deer hunt the way you want to? It's so I can't express how much better I feel, how much more alert I am in the woods now. Um, but for one thing, uh, hanging stands is a piece of cake now. I shouldn't use the word <laughs> cake, probably. Uh, let's just say a piece of bacon. <laughs> right, yeah, right. right. Uh, yeah, it's so much easier. I'm not winded. Um, actually, the other day, I went in to, here in North Carolina, we can put out corn to draw in our deer. Well, uh, I went in to hang some cameras, so I put some corn out so I can start getting some inventory of my bucks here. Uh, and I toted the 50-pound bag of corn in, Whereas without stopping, no problem with cameras and some more stuff with me without ever stopping about a half, three quarter mile back in the woods. Yeah. Well, three years ago, four years ago, if I had to try that, uh, I'd have stopped probably five or six times before I got where I was going because I'd have been out of breath and out of shape. You know, I was just wasn't in shape for it. Um, and I can remember climbing up into a lock on stand at 360 and being out of breath before I got even in the stand. Yes. Um, it was like, oh, and don't let me get on trying to climb in a self-climber up a tree at 360. It was like a full-body workout at the gym. Yeah. I mean, when I got to the top, I wanted to take a nap. Yeah. I mean, I was completely wore out. Um, but now I, I, I'm like a squirrel. I can shimmy <laughs> right up the tree. Right. right. And I'm, I'm ready and I'm alert. I'm not no longer dozing off in the stand, uh, whereas before I had that carb crash kind of plays in there. I wanted to take a nap in the tree, which is a no-no. We all know that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just my mental clarity and just being able to hunt, uh, not per se, let's say, take away from deer hunting, but uh year before last, I wasn't in the shape I'm in now, but I was, I was in fairly, had lost about 100 pounds at that point. I went to Colorado and filmed a guy elk hunting, and uh, it was in Leadville, Colorado. And I believe the town sets at 9,500 feet, the town itself. Hmm. And we were going up to around 13.5. And if I'd have tried that 360, I would have never made it out of sight of the truck. Right. Because I don't know if, if anybody's ever been to high altitude, they know there's no air there to begin with. Um, so I would have, I may have killed myself, but. I hung right with the guy. Been living there for all his life, um, and if I hadn't have been in decent shape at the time, I would have never been able to do that at all. Um, and it just it just helps so much in hunting altogether. Like stalking, you're not a big blob anymore. So you know when you're stalking stuff, and I've, I've filmed several hunts uh, for antelope where we stalked antelope, and uh, if I'd have been 360, there's no way I could have pulled it off. There's just absolutely no way. Um, so it's just like full circle how it's really helped me hunting. And, uh, it's just, it, it just helps. You don't see all the little things it helps with, but it's just, you know, it's nice walking to your stand and not getting to the base of your tree and you're soaked in sweat and stinking already. When you get there, you haven't even broken a sweat. Right. So just that little bit right there, you've eliminated a lot of the scent you used to leave in the woods right there. So all, all very good points, and, and I, I've noticed a difference uh, just 
just climbing trees. You know, I've, I've finally got into climbing again with sticks and, and climbers. And it was, a, it was a process, man. I had to really think hard if I wanted to go do that. But now it's, like you said, it's squirrel-like. Like, it's just fun and not exhausting, not doesn't make me winded, don't sweat. It's just, just easy. Yep. And it's rewarding. And After rewarding. that, you're like, yeah, there you, go. you know, you're like, you finish hanging your set and you're like, I didn't even break a sweat. Right. Wow. I feel good. Yep. That's exactly so, right. Let's take a coffee break. And when we come back, we'll pick up where we left off with Dennis Pridgen. Hello, I'm Grant Woods, and as a wildlife biologist, I've learned through the decades that big antlers start in the dirt. It's all about quality soil. Years ago, when research clearly showed that tilling, disking, or disturbing the soil decreased the quality of soil, I changed to a no-till system. As the research progressed and more and more people were focused on soil health, I changed to using cover crops and keeping a living root in the soil as many days throughout the year as possible. Now our food plot systems actually improve the soil instead of degrade it, and we're growing larger and healthier deer. In a similar way, I've learned that several coffee importers don't hold the same value for natural resources that I do. They actually do things that harm the environment instead of help the environment and the people that work those coffee plantations. It's even more discouraging that several coffee importers actually support lobbyists that are against hunting and our hunting traditions. Last winter, I met Ken, Paul, and Mike, three brother-in-laws that love coffee and hunting. Due to their love of coffee, and quite candidly, the people that grow and process the coffee, they work to bring us Hunter's Blend coffee. Paul, Ken, and Mike buy directly from the coffee producers. This allows them to pay the producers at least twice the normal rate and be able to donate to hunting organizations. I love it when I have an opportunity to purchase from folks that want to protect our natural resources and the people working the land and protect hunting and the hunting heritage. I encourage you to go to huntersblendcoffee.com and order some today and ask your local sporting goods retailer to stock their coffee. It's more important now than ever for hunters to stick together and support conservation of our natural resources. And now back to our interview with Dennis Pridgen, deer hunting and the ketogenic diet. So let's talk about some of your deer hunting strategies. I mean, it looks like, from, and again, I'm just kind of cruising some Facebook stuff. Your, your diet and all the transformation stuff is absolutely amazing, but you've also got some Pretty good deer kills uh, to your name. These are these are not small box. You looks like you're a you, you like to target the mature box like some of us. And your your um, man town has uh, several specimens on the wall. That's very impressive. So let's talk about some of your deer hunting um, and some of the strategies. Where do you end up deer hunting the most? Um, right right at home uh, on a little hundred acre farm. I lease is where uh, I've learned basically all my hunting tactics. And it's my favorite place to hunt by far. Um, I, and like I say, I've filmed all over the United States. I've been to Iowa. I've been here and there. Most of the time, it's behind the camera, not hunting. Yeah. But I wouldn't trade that swamp bottom for any place in the world um, that I hunt in. And it's it's pretty gnarly. Uh, but uh, Castaia, North Carolina is where I cut my teeth. And uh, that's my favorite hunting ground by far. I love it there. Um, if you kill a 130, 140 class buck where I live at in eastern North Carolina, you have done something. Right. Uh, that's a really big deer where I live at. Um, 
Gotcha. So, so t- tell me about some of your strategies and techniques that you employ now. Um, and, and maybe, maybe it even ties back into some of your hunting us. Have your techniques changed at all? Um, well, I'll tell you this, the biggest thing that I do now is I pick my quality over quantity. Okay. I was the guy 10 years ago that had to be in the woods every single day. Good wind, bad wind, it didn't matter. I was going hunting because I won't taking a chance. He walks out and I'm not there. Well, as you know, and I know, I was just educating him not to get killed is what I was doing. Right. Um, and sure, I got lucky on the right winds and killed some nice deer. But in the last four or five years, if the wind's not perfect for that spot, I do not touch it. I don't go in there. I don't. I've got to the point where now, if I know where the deer are bedding and I'm going in to check trail cameras, I make sure the wind's right when I go check my trail cameras, especially during hunting season. Now, right now, it's not that big a deal. Uh, I'm, I'm not worrying about it. Um, but when it gets close to hunting season, I even go by the wind. I got the app on my phone, um, and I'll see, all right, the wind's blowing perfect. I'm going to check this camera. If I get a good buck on camera, I'll know he knows I haven't been in there, and I can get back in there and try to kill him. Um, so that's one of the biggest strategies. Um, and another thing is preparation for season. Um, I try to go in, in right about this time of year or a little before now, I'll go in and go ahead and trim my shooting lanes and go in and, and prepare everything, check the straps on my stands and just make sure everything, I don't want to get there opening day of deer season, had stepped in the woods and walk in there and the squirrels chewed my strap in half up there and my stands hanging over. Or I go in there and just, get in the stand and here comes a 130 inch buck and I'm at full draw and there's a huge limb sticking out that's growed out since last season and I can't shoot him, you know? So yeah. preparation is another thing I really look into now as I've got older. Gotcha. Okay. What about uh, scent control and, and weaponry? Do you focus on your, your scent at all? I mean, you, it sounds like you're hunting the stand with the right wind, but do you go to the other extreme or the nth extreme as well, where you, you make sure your scents, completely cleaned up uh and are you a bow hunter or gun hunter or both i'm i'm if it's legal it's me um i love bow hunting i have a crossbow also um which i have a messed up shoulder at the moment so that may be what i'm incorporating this fall uh but i i love my 300 mag rifle like i say i hunt a big swamp and i do not hunt that with my bow because i have shot a couple really really nice north carolina whitetails and they got in that water, and they were never seen again. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I go in there, I, I'll, I wait till usually around prime rut activity. I'll go in there on the right wind and hunt with my 300, because if I can see him with my 300, there is no tracking required once I squeeze that trigger. It's over with. Uh, just make sure I know where he's at, and I figure out a way to get to him, um, because I have to cross this huge swamp to get there but most of the time i'm so wired and hyped up from shooting it the the thrill of the adrenaline rush i just wade on across in my hunting clothes anyway uh so it doesn't even phase me but yes i do still pay strict attention to my scent i keep all my clothes outside in a bin i keep them washed and clean and i get dressed out at the truck, when I get out of the truck, I got a mat I stand on, and I spray down with cover scent. Well, actually, scent eliminator. I don't put any, like, cover scent, so to speak. I just neutralize her, uh, and I get dressed at the truck, and when I get back from hunting, I take my clothes off, and I put them back in the bag, and I put my other clothes back on before I get in the truck. 
Gotcha. Uh, yes, because okay. you never know when that big buck's going to come in behind you, and you need every, you know, you got to throw every trick in the book at him because if you can beat his nose, you can kill him. There's no doubt about that. Right. Um, gotcha. As your diet these days, not knowing that you you can kill many a deer in North Carolina, do you add the lean protein to your diets with your ketogenic as well, or how do you incorporate that in? Yes, sir. Um, we well, one thing we do is we get it somewhat processed, and and I got a guy that does mine, and I know what's going in it. But uh, I get my sausage made, you know, which ups the fat content. But, you know, if I got a, um, let's say, a backstrap and I'm going to cook it on the grill, I make sure I drown it in grass-fed butter to keep my fat intake up. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah. I use, if, if you're looking for a butter, we use what they call Kerrygold butter. Um, it's grass-fed. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. Like I know it very cent, well. a dollar more. Yeah. Uh, and it's good. You can taste regular butter and taste that. It's night and day. Right. It's absolutely totally different. But I incorporate like like you say, we had chicken yesterday, uh, and I melt butter on top of my chicken because you know it's lean source of meat there. But yeah, um, I can't wait to deer season because uh, we have ate all our deer meat, so we have no deer meat left. <laughs> okay, so right. I got to stock that freezer back up for very, sure. Very good. Do you um when you're considering this diet? And I mean, dropping that, the amount of weight that you did eating the, the higher fats, was there any medical, medical concern, uh, for you? And did you get any kind of medical supervision? Um, I'll be honest. When I first, first started reading on it, I was like, you know, this is a heart attack waiting to happen. Uh, my dad and my granddaddy, my granddaddy died on the heart surgery table. And my dad has got a defibrillator and a pacemaker and it's got all kinds of AFib heart problems. And it, really stuck out to me, you know, this probably is not going to be good for me. And, uh, and I've done more research and I talked to some doctors and this and that. And, um, I've been to the doctor a few times. I don't religiously go like I should probably to get my blood work done and whatnot, but I feel great. And that's what I go by how I feel. Hmm. If I get to feeling bad, then yes, I would go to the doctor. Um, but I started doing a lot of research on that and, they scientists have really found out a lot of things here in the last few years that really open your eyes to what causes heart disease. And it's really not fat. It's the processed sugars we eat. It's basically to sum it up. Yes, the fat clogs up in your arteries and whatnot and, and cause it, but there's a reason it clogs up. When you're taking in all that sugar and processed mess, just, just picture this in your head. Take a piece of pipe, a plumbing pipe, and pour syrup in that pipe, all right? Get it full of syrup. Then try to take hamburger fat or whatever and shove it in that pipe. What's it going to do? It's going to stick. It has nowhere to go because there's nothing but syrup in the pipe. Well, when you go on a ketogenic diet, you eliminate all that syrup, so to speak, which is glucose in your system. You eliminate it. So when you eat fat, that fat goes straight through and is used as is needed and... The rest you excrete out, uh, so it's not stored and it cannot clog your arteries. So sugar is the de- is the is the real problem with heart disease and stuff like that. So I've learned that along the way. Hmm. That's a that's an interesting visual analogy there. I had not <laughs> seen it, but that's a, it's a good example. It's kind of interesting. Very good. Do you um, see yourself changing your hunting trips? Or I mean, it sounds like you were going all over the country anyway. But do you see your your hunting changing now, uh, going forward? Now that you're down around two hundred and 
are extremely mobile? Um, well, I do have an elk hunt bucket list elk hunt that I want to do eventually. Okay. So yes, I want to go do a, like a, a, a pack in hunt with one of my buddies, which killed one of the biggest elk in uh, New Mexico a couple of years back on a do it yourself hunt. Uh, his name's Kenny Hollingsworth. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. I do a lot of filming for him. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I see a lot of things now that I want to do that I would have never, ever even in my wildest dreams thought about doing when I weighed 360 pounds. Um, I'll be in Texas a lot this year, um, with work, some, some stuff I got going on with a new job. And I plan on taking my first Texas whitetail this year, hopefully, if everything works out. Oh, that's out. exciting. Looking Very forward nice. to that. Yeah. Yes, sir. Very cool. Yes, sir. Nice. Well, it's it's been an incredible journey for you, Dennis, and it's uh, it's been relatively short amount of time. That's that's very exciting, and I, I think you've uh, you've done a great deal of service to yourself and to your family, and uh, your what you're showing the world because you're not just doing it; you're you're also expressing yourself through social media and showing people that you can do it, and still relating it back to hunting and and getting on this podcast. You know, I think that helps people paint a picture of what to do, how to do it. And I'm sure there are, you know, the, the how to is probably some other stuff that we could go even deeper into for what to eat, when to eat it, how to, how to fast, all that stuff. But that's probably stuff they could reach out to you and contact you with down the road. But um, yes, sir. let's, um, let's, uh, let's turn to a, a deer hunt. You said that there was a deer hunt that you can connect to your, uh, diet and that it has some meaning to you. So I was wondering if you could take us on a detailed hunt that you've been on, a memorable one, and and share that story with us. Well, I got several great hunts. Yeah, I got several great hunts. Um, but one that sticks out the most, and uh, I'll tell that one, and I'll give you a little short one behind it, if that's okay. Absolutely. Because um, it's very inspirational. Uh, but the one that sticks out the most, and I'll always remember to the day the good Lord comes to get me, uh the day we buried my mom, and I don't want nobody looking at me like uh, that was wrong on me or whatnot, but the day we buried my mom, uh, after we had it around 12 o'clock, we had a service, and I just wanted to get away and just go sit out and listen to the birds chirp and just just, just think and pray and talk to my mom, so to speak, uh, and the good Lord. And um, so I told my wife, I said, look, don't think badly of me. And I told my dad, too, I said, don't think badly of me. But I said, I'm going to go hunting this evening. Hmm. And my farm is literally a mile from my driveway that I hunt. So it's like right down the road. Yeah. And uh, I said, I just want to go sit in a tree. I said, I really ain't even got to carry a gun. I said, I just want to go sit and be by myself and reflect a little bit. Yep. So I go to the farm and I uh, had no intentions of anything happening. Um, I get there and I'm not going to lie. I pull up and I'm just reflecting and I'm in tears. and. I'm a really, uh, I wear my heart on my sleeve, so to speak, kind of guy. It yep. don't take much to get me uh, really emotional. And uh, uh, well, I get my stuff together, you know, spray down and whatnot. And I walk in, as, I walk in, as I'm walking in, and that's another thing, as I've got older, I've noticed, I take, I take in my surroundings now more than I did when I was younger. Yeah. I appreciate the little things, like the cardinal on the limb, or the squirrel in the tree, you know, I remember my dad, when I was a kid, he used to tell me, look at that squirrel, look at this, you know, and he was appreciating, and I was like, it's just a squirrel, but as I've got older, I've realized it's not just a squirrel, you know, but back to the story, I'm walking in, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at how beautiful the clouds are, and 
the beans have got that. They're just starting. The soybeans are just starting to fade to the yellow from green to yellow and i'm looking at that and how pretty it is and so i get to my stand i'm sitting there and you know i get in the stand i say me a prayer like i always do um most of the time it's just prayer just for a safe hunt and get me back home safe regardless if i see an animal or not um and i get in the stand and i'm reflecting on you know my childhood and how things may could have went one way and they went another but how grateful i am that i turn out at least the person I am because I could have turned into something totally different. And, and I'm basically sitting there in my mind talking to my mom, you know, telling her I miss her and uh, I love her. And, you know, yes, we had our bad times, but thank you so much for all the good times we had, uh, too. And, um, I'm sitting there and it's, you know, as the evening goes on, I have some turkeys come out and I'm watching them turkeys. And I had one particular eight pointer on camera in there. The deer was probably 125 ish. Um, pretty good deer where I hunt at. Um, and it was only deer I had on camera that I actually had on the hit list that I was going to shoot other than one deformed rack buck. I was going to let my wife shoot cause she's a big hunter too. Hmm. Um, but, uh, basically I'm sitting there and it's getting about 10 minutes for dark, you know, and I jokingly, you know, sitting there thinking, well, I guess, you know, I've had a great hunt regardless. I haven't, I, I did see a couple does after the turkeys and, you know, just, it was it soaked it all in. And I never remember till that hunt really soaking in the hunt. Like, you know, like this could be my last hunt. Don't take it for granted. Enjoy it. Yep. And, um, I guess it was three or four minutes of shooting light left. And, uh, I put my head down and I said a prayer. And when I finished my prayer, I kind of jokingly, I said, all right, Ma, and I called my, I didn't call my mom, Mom, I called her Ma. Sure. I said, I said, all right, Ma, if you're going to send me a deer, you better hurry up. And I actually <laughs> said that, whispered it out loud. Yeah. And as soon as I said that, I caught movement in the corner of the field in the back, about 160 yards back. And as soon as I saw the deer, it was no doubt in my mind, it was the buck. Um he came out, and I got my camera. I was self-filming. I got it on film. The The hunt is actually on my uh, Facebook page. Um, and I got the camera steadied on him and set, a, set another silent prayer, squeezed the trigger, the deer hits the ground. Uh, I absolutely lost it. Um, hmm. uh, I can't even I – I still can't watch that hunt the entirety uh, because I lose it so bad at the end talking about my mom and I'll always cherish that hunt that nothing I could go to Iowa this fall and kill a 200 inch buck and it would not touch that hunt. Right. Um, See, that's, it's that, just, that's why we you know, tell these stories. Cause there's some that are just memorable, right? They just stick out more than other. They might not be the biggest deer or the longest hunt, but for some reason there's something like what you just described that sticks out. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And you know, uh, I, everybody that has watched that hunt, I don't know many people that haven't watched it that didn't need a clean a Kleenex or a tissue when when they finished watching it because you know we're in the hunting industry and we know about things. You know, a lot of hunting shows are scripted these days. Uh, it's, a lot of stuff is, and some things have to be scripted. But when you speak from your heart and it's unfolding right in front of the camera, and there's no there's no way to fake that. And people know when it's genuine. And I, I mean, I, I literally like broke down into absolutely i was crying as i was talking yeah there and um it's just you know it was 
it was just her way of saying she still loved me and here's you a nice book, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, it was, a uh, most memorable hunt. Um, and a quick second one, really quick. This will be very short. I don't know if your listeners, some of them probably do know, and I'm not sure if you know, uh, Joshua Carney, son of the South. Oh yeah. He's, he's a good friend of mine. Are you? He's a good friend of yeah. a good you, friend you of mine. Josh? Yeah, good friend of mine, good friend of the shows. He's been on multiple times and every time we go to a convention, uh, we pretty much hang out with Josh. Yeah, the same with me. ATA, yep. uh Dixie Deer Classic here in Raleigh. We always hang out. He comes and stays at my house sometimes. Uh but it's been two two seasons ago. I had Josh come up from Louisiana and I uh, stayed with me for ten days. And uh we hunted really hard and we're seeing some deer, just not the deer we wanted to shoot. And um, I'm hunt- we were hunting uh, up here at my in-laws where I'm at right now, and I got 10 acres that I hunt in this spot. And I killed a – year before last, I killed a 140-class buck on this 10 acres, and I get a big deer in there every year. Um, but I took Josh in there, and it's, like I say, a half a mile to three-quarters of a mile back in the woods. So it was a job getting Josh in there, you know. But we got him in there and got him set up, and I'm filming. And uh, it's the last day, like you see on TV – Sometimes that's not the truth on TV, but I promise you, this was the last day, last five minutes of the hunt. Yeah, I, I look up in the oak grove, uh, and there's the buck that I had targeted Josh trying to get him on. He was about a 18, 19 inch wide six pointer. I don't know if you've ever saw that huge six pointer he killed here in North Carolina in his one of his pictures. I, um, I'm sure I have. I guess I just didn't realize the backstory. Now we're getting it. Yeah. Well. If you see the picture of him with that deer, I'm the one sitting with him. I was probably 250-ish at the time mm. uh, in the picture. But the deer comes out, Josh squeezes the trigger, deer drops in his tracks, and I'm not going to lie. Well, you know Josh. You know he's a complete character. Yes. Uh, 100% <laughs> clown. Yes. Well, I can't talk exactly as some of the stuff he said after he shot that deer because we're going to keep it family friendly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but no, Josh, Josh was just cutting up, being himself, uh, cracking some jokes. Uh, let's just say I put the camera on Josh and I said, say something. He said, they can't see me. It's too dark. <laughs> of course he did. That's... Yeah, that's Josh. That's Josh. But uh, I remember walking back to the truck to get uh, my cousin to help me go back here so we could get set up on this deer and get Josh film Josh coming in to see the deer for the first time. And I remember calling my wife and I absolutely lost it because in a million years, I never thought it would have worked out that I took Josh in there and put him on the exact deer that I told him I was going to put him on, on nine, nine and a half acres of land too, you know, mm. uh, and he killed it, and at that time it was the biggest buck he'd ever killed. I think he killed a big one in Kansas last year that topped him pretty pretty good but uh but yeah but josh has been one of speaking of my journey josh has been one of the big one of the biggest inspirations in my journey because josh goes to the gym he works out he don't make any excuses uh and he texts me pretty much daily saying what are you working out today what are you doing what have you ate this and that you know uh so josh is definitely one of my top influencers inspirations um in my life he's he's a good He's a good guy. He really is a good is. guy. But, yeah, uh, he, can, he inspires are, a lot of people for sure. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, and that's probably the top two hunts I got. You know, I could tell you ten hunts. Right, those are the top two. Those are the top two. Off the top of my head. Yeah. So very, very good. Yeah. 
Excellent. Well, Dennis, I've got 10 rapid-fire questions for you if you'd entertain us with those. Just get to know you, your, your personality okay. a little better. All right. uh, what's your number one hunting tip of all time? Play the wind. Use the wind to your advantage. Very good. Uh, we all have these items, or most of us do, that if you leave it at home or in the truck and you don't have it with you, it drives you crazy during the hunt. What's that one thing for you? My cell phone. If I leave that in the truck, I got to go back and get it because I got I got to be keeping up with what's going on on Facebook and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. What's your biggest pet peeve in life? Uh, in people in general, I don't like smoking. I don't mm-hmm. like people. To, I, it's, it's just not my thing. I don't like smoking. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, how old are you today, Dennis? I am 43 years young, going on 25. 43 going on 25. Very nice. Okay. What would you tell the 25-year-old knowing what you know today? Start. Start at 25 years old and don't wait till you're 40 years old to get started if you want to get in shape and whatnot. Don't don't wait on your dreams. Take chances because uh, failure will lead to success eventually. So keep trying until you get there. Nice. You're at a convention at a hotel lobby somewhere in the world. It's a hunting convention. They And somebody comes up to you and strikes up a conversation. They ask you what you do for a living. What, what would you say? I would first off be funny and say, uh, I kill fat for a living. That's nice. the first thing I'd tell them. And then, you know, they'd look at me like I was crazy. And then i say, well, I'm a jack of all trades. And I'd explain to them, you know, how I help people lose weight and how I film for some people in the hunting industry, basically. Yep. Gotcha. Very nice. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Actually, right before we got on the phone, I had ate three eggs and four strips of bacon. Uh, and I broke my fast at about 1.30. So 1.30. All right. Very that's good. That's what I had. You uh, get your own billboard on the side of a highway. It's a blank canvas. You can say anything you want. What would you put on it? Uh, as most people on Facebook would probably know, I'd probably put there, put up there something along the lines, get them gains. I'm all about making gains. Mm. <laughs> nice. Very cool. Uh, if I say the word successful to you, who's the first person that pops into your head and why? Uh, probably my granddaddy. Uh, he, he was... He loved his country, and he was successful at everything. He could fix anything, uh, and he loved his country, and he was successful through everything he'd ever done. Very cool. What's a typical day in your life look like? A typical day. Uh, not hunting season. It's going to be get up, uh, get some cardio in, answer emails. Uh, around 1 o'clock or so, I'll break my fast, uh, eat something. And then probably three hours later, go to the gym, work out for an hour and a half, two hours, uh, get home, cook supper, do some more cardio probably. And uh, most of the time, it's working on clients' menus at night. Hunt season, that all changes. I try to get everything done early because come 4 o'clock, I'm going to be in the tree. Gotcha. I was just about to say, my last question is, what's a typical deer hunting day in your life look like? Because I think you kind of alluded to what that might be. Um, I'm a... I'm a big evening hunter. I've killed some deer in the mornings, uh, but I'm a big evening hunter. Uh, basically, I'll I'll go in uh, probably about three and a half, four hours for dark, and I'll just sit and uh, play the wind, like I say, um, and try to I try to get there a little early and slip in really quietly um, and take my time. I don't like rushing in. As we all know, when you rush in, usually that's when he's there and you're going to bust him out, and that's when the ball game's over. So uh, basically, just I like to spend a lot of time in the tree is what it what it boils down to. Very cool, man. Well, that's the ten rapid fire questions, Dennis. Hey, if we wanted to reach out to you after the show is over as a listener, if we created more 
questions for people or if we didn't answer something that somebody had, how do people reach you? Or maybe if they want their own plan, a, a meal plan of some sort, how do they reach you? Uh, you can look me up on, on Facebook under Dennis Pridgen, or you can go to Instagram or Facebook. I have two fitness pages, one's Instagram, one's Facebook, and uh, it's called Get Lean Journey. I also have a YouTube channel too, Get Lean Journey. Get Lean Journey. Very cool, man. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you coming on the show, Dennis, and telling us about your journey and, and telling us about how you lost all the weight and how it's affected positively your deer hunting and how your the deer hunting that you have done is is done and, and explained your strategies and techniques. It's really been, I, I think, a very useful uh, hour or so. Yes, sir, Jay. I, I appreciate you having me on. And like I say, Everything I talked about, I give God all the glory. Uh, he's he, Every day I wake up, I'm very blessed, and I try to make the most of it. Well, thanks to Dennis Pridgen for joining us on the Big Buck Red Street Deer Hunting Podcast and talking to us about how he dropped that 160 pounds. I myself have, have played with the ketogenic diet, and I've seen drastic success as well in a very short amount of time. I've got to get a little more focused in on, and maybe Dennis can help me do that, but it has been life-changing. I've been able to do things that I haven't been able to do since I was in my 20s. Climbing trees is a heck of a lot of fun now, and it was it was more or less a burden. Uh, the weight definitely got in the way, but I don't think I would have done it if I hadn't been just feeling out of shape, feeling winded, feeling like I should be able to do something and didn't. And and, or even just think about things. My mental clarity is there as well. So hopefully that helped you out. Dusty, do we have a Chubby Tines tip of the week this week? Yeah, we do, Jay. We actually, we, 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 we do. All right, what do we got? The Chubby Tines tip of the week is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Firearms, use firearms, bows, use bows. Located at 85 Kentucky Falls Road in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Give Jim a call at 603-464-3444. Morse's Sporting Goods dot com your dollars go further in new hampshire there's no sales tax more supporting goods you know it's uh it's getting closer jay no doubt about it the conditions are going to soon be cooling off you know go through and and check all your last year's material as far as your hunting clothes as far as your grunt calls you know if you got tree stands laying in the garage it's time to go through and check bolts check nuts just do a, a once over of all your equipment so that you know, not not only safety, but you, you want to be prepared when the day comes. And, and if you got to order something, you don't want to be a week out and trying to do all this. But if you if you haven't hung your stand yet and you got them laying out in the garage, take take time and go out there and, and just do a once over. If you got rusty bolts, replace them. You know, a sixty three cent stainless steel bolt is not worth your life. So just do it. Do equipment check. That's the Chevy Times tip of the week. So equipment checks is what you're getting at. I think it's a great idea. I've been yeah. thinking more about deer hunting lately than I, I did in July. I can tell you that. So you're right. It's time to pull out all the gear and go through it and make sure everything still works and that everything is safe. Awesome tip, man. Yeah. It, uh, you know, it's just that time of year, Jay. Just just go do a once over. Yep. Take a half hour and roll your tree stand around the garage floor and just, just look everything over. Get your bow and look it over. Just instead of going out and shooting, get it out of the case and look it over. Take the time and go through the limbs, go through the arrows and flex them a little bit. Make sure you get into splinters. Just, just everything that, that you can prep yourself and prepare yourself before the season starts, you'll be that, that next step closer to getting in the woods opening day. Nice. Very, very good tip. Dusty, where can we find you when you're not hanging out here in the studios with me? Uh, shoot me an email, dusty at 
bigbuckregistry.com. You can look me up on Instagram and Twitter at Chasing Antler, Facebook.com forward slash Chubby Tines Outdoors. Jay, where can the people reach out to you when you're not on the mic? Likewise, you can shoot me an email, jay at bigbuckregistry.com, and you can visit us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. We're also on Twitter, which is twitter.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. We're also on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash bigbuckregistry, and YouTube, which is youtube.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. On YouTube, you can listen to all of our podcasts in their entirety. As far as videos are concerned, it's a boring video, but the audio content is there, so you can actually listen to our podcast. You can also listen to all of our live shows that we've done on Thursday nights when we do do them, and we've gone back and interviewed, re-interviewed a lot of our previous guests we had on the show just to put a face to a voice. Let's put it that way. You can always listen to our show on other places as well, not just YouTube. We're found on Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, and as an Amazon Alexa skill. Go to Alexa and say, Alexa, enable Big Buck Registry. And if you would like to submit a buck to our page for consideration and be featured on our page in front of 250,000 diehard deer hunting fans, all you have to do is go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash my buck, and all of the instructions will be right there. I think that's pretty much everywhere we're at. I think that's a wrap, Dusty. That's a whole lot of big buck, Jay. Sure is. I'm Jay Scott. I'm Dusty Phillips. And this is the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. (laughs) 